All right, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is June 7th, 2022, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, speaking with Craig Fry, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? Born in Mishawaka, Indiana. Okay, and uh, what were your parents' names? Harold and Kay Fry. Okay. When did your family first get to Indiana? Um, going back into the 1800s, mid-1800s. Okay, cool. Where were they before that? Uh, Lighters Ford, Culver. Yeah, okay. And uh, what were your parents' occupations? Uh, my dad was a factory worker and my mom was a computer-type person. Okay. Uh, did you have any siblings? I have brother Brian. Okay. And uh, how would you describe your childhood? Oh, it was... I back in back in the '60s, uh, you know, things were fairly easy, and yeah. uh, you know, I went to a local grade school and a local middle school and a local high school. Yeah, and uh, and then went off to college. Okay. But, yeah, it was pretty normal, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood? Your parents, or? Oh yeah, my parents were good people. Yeah. Special. Um, what did you know about your family's political beliefs growing up? Well, it's kind of interesting because I, I'm, I think my parents might've been Republicans. They always had Republican signs in the yard as, oh, okay. a, as a kid <laughs> and I'm a Democrat Yeah, and I always have been because I'm fairly liberal. Yeah. And, um, but they, they voted for people who they knew sure. personally. Okay. And in local races that they tended to be a lot of Republican folks. And then, um, and then later on, when I got involved in politics, they became advocates of mine and, and friends of mine, which were all Democrats. Okay. So when you, be, when you like first started getting involved in politics, did, were they like, you know, how did you talk to them about how you were going to become a Democrat? Or? Well, I mean, I, I was always a Democrat because, I, okay. like I said, I was always fairly liberal. So they even. knew that, like, when you were in high school even? Yeah, and, well, okay. and I never got involved in politics early on, but mm -hmm. it was, um, it, I really didn't get seriously involved until the mid-70s. Yeah. Mid okay, sure. Um, and so when you were in school, were you part of any, like, uh, sports teams? Were you involved in any clubs or...? Well, I went to Mishawaka High School, and um, I was a kid that came from a middle-class family, and, mm -hmm. and I had to work. Okay. And so I had to choose one sport, and I was uh, fairly good in baseball and fairly good in, in track. Yeah. I was a pole voter. And so I could only be in one sport, so I couldn't play football or basketball. So I chose track. Right. And I participated in the track team, and and uh, got to set the school record in pole vaulting and then wow, okay. went to, went to uh, the state track meet when I was a senior and um, went to Ball State and participated in track for a while and then got other interests. Sure, okay. And did you have any favorite subjects in school? Uh, history. History. I, 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 I like to read yeah. about history. Cool. What was your major at Ball State? Um, uh, drinking beer, drinking beer. <laughs> no, <Sorry>. industrial arts. <laughs> so you double major. Okay. That's right. yeah. Yeah. 
So how did you view Indiana growing up? Were you like aware of this sort of the state and, and its place in the U.S. or? Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting <clears throat> until they, you know, Republicans controlled for so long that it kind of, uh, I was more focused on our local community, mm-hmm. not so much the state, because, see, we live three hours, I live three hours north. Yeah. And, you know, we get little or nothing about anything in Indiana, the General Assembly or Indianapolis or anything. Sure. So, um, so my focus mostly was um, my home area. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so after you graduated from college, what was your plan? Well, I didn't actually graduate oh, okay. initially. I, sure. I, I, uh, I'm a carpenter by trade. Oh, okay. Cool. And I moved into that industry, the construction industry, and I worked in that for um, oh, nearly a quarter mm-hmm. century at one level or another. And, yeah. and, um, and then um, I went on to work at Ivy Tech as a program director where we provided... Um, uh, degree opportunities for people wow. in building trades, apprenticeship programs, and um, I got my I got, actually graduated from college when I was in my fifties. Oh, okay. So you just went back and yeah, cool. I took classes that I took classes all yeah. along that applied to whatever I was doing sure. at that point in time in my life. So. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um, and so, when did you start to get interested in politics? Uh, when I saw it starting to impact my life and then yeah and then uh, when I started having children it it was um, I wanted I wanted somebody else's opinion mm-hmm. uh, to count and and I had friends that were running for office and I supported them and and I had a friend that ran for Congress twice and didn't make it and before I knew it his he was supporting me and I was on the ballot <laughs> wow okay yeah funny how things change yeah um and so, when did you like have children and, and get married? And um, I got married when I was twenty. Okay. Uh, we didn't have any children until I was twenty-five. Okay. And uh, we have two, a yeah. boy, a girl, and so. Um, uh, and, but that changed my whole outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then it was wasn't about me; it was about them. Right. And that's when I started getting more politically active. Yeah, start to see how things affect everyone. and you know, Yes. Makes sense. Um, and so did you have any, uh, like, national political heroes or anything that you kind of looked up to? Or Yeah. Uh, John Bradamus back then was our local congressman, and uh, he was a special man. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, you know, came of age during the Kennedy years, so... Jack Kennedy and Robert Kennedy were kind of heroes. Yeah. And then um, Birch Bayh was always a, a hero to me. And and then and when I got involved in politics, uh, Birch became an advocate for me and came uh, every time I had a difficult race, mm-hmm. uh, Birch Bayh would show up and and help me campaign. Yeah. So, That's cool. Yeah. All right. It's always nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when did you first decide to run for state government? Well, um, I had, because I'm a numbers geek too, I yeah. like to look at numbers and, and, and figure out where things are headed. Um, I started looking at it in the early 80s um, okay. because, but then my good friend Dick Mangus um, 
redistricting me out of the district that I would have ran in and put me <laughs> in his district. That just because of where I lived, it wasn't right. because he knew me right. then. And <laughs> yeah. and so so uh, I got put into a, a Republican district, and uh, so I moved. I picked up and I moved into Mishawaka and got into the 5th District, which was a swing district. Okay. And um, I had planned to run um, in 1990, but in 88 it, it became available because uh, and there was a non-incumbent running. Yeah. So um, I thought, well, if I can't win this one, I may, I'll, win in, I'll win in the off year. Sure. So uh, the number, that's what the numbers said. Yeah. And I won in 88, the 88 election, uh, kind of surprising. I w- actually was sitting in my basement watching the TV and returns coming in. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to win. Wow. <laughs> and so I had to go up and get, jump in the shower because I'd been out all day, you know, campaigning, jump in the shower and change clothes and get a suit and tie on and, uh, and go down and... <laughs> Say hi to people. So were you were you expecting that you had a chance, or were you? No. Uh, well, the polling was dead even okay. going into the election, but um, that district at that time had a tendency to to go fairly big on in the in the general election of yeah. when the president runs, and then in the off year it was always more closely. Aligned, so I could I, I knew I could compete right. in the off year. So I uh, so I ran and I ran against a, a fellow who had been a city councilman in Mishawaka, and he had uh, the fellow who got elected in eighty in eighty six died wow. right okay. after the election. Yeah, and he was replaced by this um, last name was Reese Paul Reese, yeah. and uh, and so. I had an opportunity to run against a non-incumbent, uh, and um, he was 68 or 69 then, and yeah. I, was, I was in my 30s, so. Nice, okay. Did you have a, a particular campaign strategy, or? Yeah, I, I, I'm a big education guy, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so those were my issues. Uh, I'm a labor guy from way yeah. back, but, but. I never really discussed my labor positions because most people didn't relate. But yeah. but education and the environment impacted everybody, and so um, that were that was where I focused. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we back then, the first race, I think I raised thirty thousand or thirty-five thousand, something like that, and and we did direct mail and a little bit of radio. And then we won by 500 and some votes or something like that. And then in 1990, I was the number one target mm, for the okay. Republicans yeah. because the district was so close. Sure. And they recruited um, Marv Wood, who was actually the real coach of the Hoosiers. Okay. And that's when the Hoosier movie came out yeah. during that cycle. Wow. And uh, <laughs> And they were pumping money into him big time and... I was, as a Democrat, we we didn't have the resources that Republicans have, but I was pretty successful, and I was able to match him dollar for dollar. Yeah. And um, they ran the whole thing from Indianapolis, and you know, I Marv Wood had been uh, a coach of mine on the track team, and mm-hmm. I had even dated his daughter a couple times <laughs> when we were at Ball State, 
And that's probably why he ran against me, because he had voted like in 18 or 19 straight Democratic primaries. Yeah. And so we, uh, and I liked him. He was a nice man. You couldn't not like him. Right. Uh, but um, we had a difficult, it was a difficult race. And, sure. Uh, and I won by 35 votes. Wow. That's a nail biter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do any uh, like the door to door uh, stuff uh, like that? Or yeah, I did uh, a little. I'm not uh, good one on one. Yeah, I'm not comfortable right talking to people that uh, I don't know. Yeah, and and you know it only takes one guy on a day when you're knocking on doors to yeah. be nasty and mean <laughs> yes. and then ruin the whole day. Yeah, so true. I just chose to uh, yeah. do direct mail. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It's always interesting to hear people like stories about door to door and everyone's everyone's got everyone who does a lot of door to door has some story of like someone who's like crazy that was oh, yeah. and, really aggressive. Yeah, and it's it's really um, it, it it was something I just hated to do. Yeah. And then after I won that nineteen ninety election I don't know that I ever did door to door after that. I guess you kind of feared like, yeah, it's not not crucial. So yeah, yeah. makes sense. Um, so, what did you think of the election process in general? Did it seem like a pretty cool, like nice process that made sense? And oh, I mean, I, it's so so well done. Yeah. In Indiana, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't, in Michi- I live in Michigan now, and yeah. it, you know, we vote absentee because we're in Florida always during the election cycle. But um, in Indiana, it, I was a precinct person uh, for a while before I became right. an elected official. And, in, you know, it was neighbors getting together on election day. It was like a party. I mean, they yeah. would bring in food. And, and, and you know, the, you didn't know who the Democrat was or who the Republican was. They had a process to go through. And they did it honorably. And, right. Just like every other election yeah. since since then, sure. I mean, so um, you know all these people that say elections uh, were fraudulent. Yeah, it's just nonsense because right. it, it would take Democrats and Republicans yeah. to make it so that somebody cheated. Right, and that's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah, not going to get bipartisan support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, so did you? Was your campaign strategy for future elections basically the same? Yeah. Okay. Every time we ran on issues that were important to the people, I was one of these guys because I was a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. I always was polling, um, even out of set, out of the campaign season. I would poll and find out what people were thinking and what they felt about this issue and that issue, and then I tailored my message around those polling questions mm-hmm. and uh, I, won't, I won't say that I told them what they wanted to hear but I told them what they wanted to hear yeah <laughs> makes sense that's a, probably a good strategy for success yeah well you don't tell them you know if, they, yeah. if they're if they're pro-choice and you yeah. tell them you're pro-life yeah that's not going to go over well. <laughs> probably not yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> probably won't <laughs> um so what were you thinking when you walked into the state house for your first day as an elected official um, it was pretty overwhelming because in 1989 was when I actually, well, actually we just started, we had an organizational day in 88, but, um, uh, it was the first 50-50 split in mm-hmm. the state's history. Yeah. So there were no, there were no rules. 
Right. There were no guidelines. Yeah. In fact, it only had happened across the country in a couple places a couple times. And so so even the people who knew what was supposed to go on in the legislature, they were dumbfounded. Yeah. And, you know, we had um, we had planned as a family to go from here and go to Florida to visit my parents who lived down in Florida. And um, <laughs> we were here and there was no resolution and we were here on Thanksgiving morning. Yeah. And um, they finally came to some resolution where it, it was fun because every, every, we alternated speakers from yeah. day to day yep. and we alternated committee chairmen from day to day. And so it was like, it was it was really good for a freshman to be here then because okay. I learned the work the system, yeah. and, it, and it was you had to, you had to go get a vote, Republican vote to pass anything. Right, that's right. So yeah. it was really fantastic, yeah. and and then that set the precedent for because before that time the speaker controlled everything. Yep, a bill didn't hit the floor unless the speaker wanted it to hit the floor. Well, as a result of the 1988 election. And the rules that were changed in the process of organizing, uh, people like me, mm-hmm. the backbencher, was just as important as the speaker. Yeah. And and as we went, as I went through my career here, the the a lot of times, I think two or three times, we had fifty-one votes, mm-hmm. and 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 we were in the majority, and so I was the speaker, even though I wasn't the speaker. Yeah. Because I'd just say no. Right. I want this, yeah. and if you don't want to give it to me, I'm not going to vote for what you want. Yeah. And so um, budget bills, in, 19, in 2007, I shut down the budget. Wow, okay. Because they screwed my school corporation, my largest, most progressive school mm-hmm. system in my district. Yeah. Pat, Pat Bauer hated that school district. Okay. And so he went about, and the school formulas screwed them to the wall. It was horrible. And raise wow. property taxes in my district by twenty percent. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, Jeez. and they took away state money. So I said, <laughs> I'm not voting for that budget. Right. Yeah, you're out of your mind. Yeah. And and so, um, so they had to give me two million more dollars. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And people weren't happy. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it didn't benefit me. I mean, it was ben- it was benefiting sure. the people I represented. Right. And that was always all the way through my twenty four years here. That was always my focus. Was yeah. to, it's like, what the do people, people want? Yeah. The people need. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't need higher property taxes. They didn't need uh, less state dollars coming into the district. So um, I just said, no, I'm not going to vote for that bill. And then they had to adjust it. And then my good friend Bob Meeks from the Senate mm-hmm. really took care of it for me. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's kind of one of the balances. It's interesting because, you know, I guess different uh, politicians sort of have different perspectives on it. But how do you balance your own sort of ideas of what you think, uh, you know, the state needs versus what your constituents want? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, on occasion, like I never voted for like the the Hoosier Dome or Uh Lucas Oil. I never voted for any of that kind of stuff because it wasn't important to the people I represented. Right. And and the people in Indianapolis were getting a benefit from that mm-hmm. at the at the cost of everybody else in the state. Right. So I said, you know, this is not in the best interest of the people I represent. Yeah. I mean, I generally, because I grew up in that community that I represented, because most of my district, 80% of it was in St. Joe County, Mishawaka, mm-hmm. Osceola, 
and and then and then it went across the county line into Elkhart. Yeah. And most of that was uh, probably majority was um, um, black votes. Mm-hmm. And and but I was that was kind of my niche. I mean, I, I yeah. that's what kind of area I came out of. That's so I knew what they thought and I knew what they believed. And so the only thing I did uh, during my twenty four years that I regret mm-hmm. was um, I don't own guns. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm, I haven't shot a gun since I was in the army in the seventies. Okay. So, so um, I voted, but because I had so much interest in those issues from my district, mm-hmm. I voted with the NRA uh, probably most of the time, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I re- I regret that now. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have. It wouldn't have made any difference. But right, I know what you're saying. Like, but yeah, it just didn't it, feel right. Yeah. But I shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I should have taken my own personal views yeah. and, and cast that vote, but I didn't. I felt like, you know, I believe in representative government. I believe sure. it's really good, a good style of government, and I felt like I knew what they thought because yeah. I tested it. And so, um, but I regret that personally. Yeah. I guess that's kind of some of the hard decisions you have to make when you're in office. Yeah, but that's yeah. the only one that really comes back to, yeah. bite, to bite me. Sure. Every yeah. time I see one of these horrible things on TV, I just you know I participated in that, and I yeah. and, it, and it, it, it upsets me. Sure. No, I mean it's understandable. Of course, who could know how things could <laughs> come out the way they are now today? It's just yeah. um, pretty crazy. Um, so, when it comes to the '88 session when you first got elected, did you feel like that was like one of the the best times to be in state government politics in terms of like the ability for the parties to work together or was it just a distraction? Well, um, we had to, we had to be bipartisan, but back in my day, it's not like it is now. Right. Back in my day, there were probably 15 Republicans that voted the same way I did. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen anymore. Yeah. And so, there wasn't as much partisanship back then. I mean, we had our days, don't misunderstand sure. me, where it was a knockdown drag out. But generally speaking, I, I'm guessing 95 or more percent of, of the votes, you'd have all over the board mm-hmm. would people be voting for this bill and that bill. Yeah. So it, wasn't, it, was, it was a pleasant experience. There wasn't... Um, but before that and then after I left, the problem is it was always so controlled by one party. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it be a Democrat or Republican, in, that, in this case, it was always Republican before and after I left. But um, parties tend to go overboard when they have absolute control. I mean, yeah. absolute power is absolutely corrupting. Sure. So, so um, I think the time that I was here, was more bipartisan than than ever mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of it was really interesting because um, I don't I think one time we had fifty five members and I think one time while I was here they had fifty six. Okay. And so there was still a lot of give and take even though you had pretty pretty strong numbers. Mm-hmm. So it was um, it it was pleasant and I met. The the real good thing about it is I met a really bunch of really good people, and I'm friends with 
many of them still today. Yeah. I communicate with some of my Republican friends on a, on a daily basis. Still, yeah. Still. Sure. Okay. After all these years. Yeah. Interesting. Now, over time as you served, did it seem like things were becoming more polarized? You know, um, not really. Uh, you know, we had our days. Don't misunderstand yeah. me. But those were far and few between. Okay. Um, and it was just fun, you know, to, to battle on, on issues. But because you could tell, you knew exactly who was going to vote for what mm-hmm. when the bill went up on the board. You didn't have to listen to the debate. You yeah. knew who was for it and who was against it. I mean, um, uh, I seldom voted for anything that benefited the business community. Yeah. And, and always voted for things that affected kids mm-hmm. and kids with disabilities and all those kinds of things. Sure. So I was, I was way on the left. And, and I probably voted with the Black Caucus as much as the Black Caucus voted with themselves. Yeah. And um, because that's the kind of issues that were important to me mm-hmm. and basically important to my district. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so like you're, when you first got in, in like the 80s, Comparing it to like the 2010s when you're leaving, were they was it a similar political environment still? Or? Yeah, I pretty much. Okay. I, because um, in 2010, let's see, were we in? The, yeah, I think we were in the majority in 2010, and so, but we didn't have big numbers. We never had big yeah. numbers to, to dominate and run rough run run roughshod over the system. Yeah. And and the other thing is. Uh, the whole time I was here, the Republicans controlled the Senate. So if you passed a bill, it had you had to be able to, to yep. get it fashioned so this, the Senate would take it up and pass it too. Right. So there was always, you know, the counterweight was there always. A little bit in the House when you're, and then always in the Senate. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And I guess you... I guess you served in actually two split yeah. sessions. It was nineteen ninety six as well. Right. Uh, was that that was hysterical? The same type of environment as eighty eight, or no? Because we had a, we besides what the policies we put in place in mm-hmm. eighty eight. Yeah. We also in in ninety five the ninety four was a wipeout year for Democrats. Yeah. And and so uh, the Republicans tried to redistrict. Oh, okay. And they and they uh, got they got bashed statewide by all the editorial pages mm-hmm. and they just took a beating and so you know you always have to give your opponent a, a way out and so they wanted to pass some legislation that gave them a leadership mm-hmm. wanted to help the, their leadership the republican leadership um pass something that got them off the hook with their caucus because some of their caucus wanted to you know go to yeah. the wall so um they passed, I kept, the one main issue they passed was that if we had a 50-50 tie again, mm-hmm. that this, is bef- this was in 90, the 95 session, if we had a 50-50 tie again, that, that whoever won the Secretary of State race or the Governor's race, whoever's party won that, yeah. would become Speaker. Okay. And yeah. so, so everybody thought, that Frank O'Bannon had no chance of being elected governor in 1996. Well, you know, he won. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then my good friend John Gregg got elected speaker. Yeah, wow. And it was 
But see, you still had to have 51 votes to pass a bill. Sure. So that, so what, what we had was... <laughs> you had the was, tiebreaker. Yeah. So yeah, so what you had to do is attract a Republican supporter uh, to, to, to pass a bill. Yeah. I mean, we, I, think, I think the rules allowed a tie vote to come out of committee and go to the floor on to second yeah. reading. But, I, um, but you still had to have 51 votes sure. for a constitutional majority. Yeah. Interesting. Um, let's see. So what was the best way for you when it came to like keeping track of what your constituents wanted? Was it just mail and email or? Well, things changed. I mean, when yeah. I first got elected, um, people wrote letters. Yep. And I enjoyed, I, I did my, I went through my mail every day. I read every letter. I generally, uh, dictated how I wanted the, the letter answered by my staff. I had, I had a person I shared with three other guys. <laughs> and so we had, um, uh, so that's the way I, that was the early on. That yeah. was the 80s and early 90s. And then people started emailing in the 90s. Yeah. And uh, it was less personal and they were nasty, usually nastier than they would have if they okay. written a letter. And... Um, but I, re I tried to respond to all of those emails myself, uh, unless we were overwhelmed with work. Sure. And um, my staff, uh, over the years, I had really good uh, less legislative staff, so they were real helpful in getting um, my feelings from the, the district and my feelings back to the district. So it, it, was, uh, it was fun. Um, Sometimes my staff wouldn't let me answer certain emails because if people were mean to me, I'd be mean to them because <laughs> they weren't going to vote for me anyway. So right. Why, why do I give a damn, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, do you remember the first bill that you sponsored? Uh, I'd have to look, but I had a bill that uh, was a bill that was law in Connecticut and it gave... Uh, froze property taxes for citizens over 65 mm -hmm. and um, and their top property taxes could never go up and I believe that's the first bill I know it's the first bill I passed out of the house okay wow that's interesting of course Larry Boris killed it but you know yeah well he got a little far yeah. <laughs> maybe out of the house <laughs> um, what would you say are the differences between the house and senate um well, in my time, you know, one was Democrat. I think I was in majority more than I was in the minority in the House, and the and the Republicans controlled the Senate. And I, while I had a lot of good friends in the Senate, mm -hmm. um, there were certain guys that that were kind of hard to, hard to get around. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was fortunate because uh, uh, Bob Garton took a liking to me, and Bob Meeks and I were friends. Um, so I was I was. If I had a if I had a legitimate issue that I needed help on, yeah. I generally, I mean, Bob, Bob, I would pass a bill in the House, and Bob Meeks would usually carry it for me in the Senate. Yeah, and, and he was at that time, you know, he he we came in together, and he um, he um, decided that he wanted to be my friend, and so we we got on together very very nicely, mm -hmm. and um, so. I carried his legislation when he wanted me to. Sure. And um, he carried mine. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Um, and 
What was the, was that? Did you ever feel like the atmosphere was different in the House versus the Senate? Oh yeah, because you know they're, you know, if we if we would have went over in the Senate and mm-hmm. sat one sat in one of their chairs uh, when they were in session, yeah, eh, <laughs> that had you thrown out on your ear. Um, but those guys come over and sit in our chairs all the time. Okay, and you know, and the House was always more. Uh, collegial. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a good time. And, you know, you sit there for 14 or 16 hours and, and things get goofy and, and people are having fun and they're tired and, you know, it's just one of those things. I don't know if that goes on today or not, but we used to be on the floor a lot. Yeah. And it was just unbelievably difficult. And so you get goofy. And, you know, we had times where what was most funny was John Gregg, who was the biggest prankster in the legislature. Yeah. And and then he becomes speaker, and then he puts all these rules on the rest of us that we can't do what he did. <laughs> well, irony there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, well, I love John. You know, yeah, I love him like a brother. But, but it's like, uh, you know, he was the biggest prankster of the group. Right. And then he puts all these rules and says, we can't do this and we can't do that. But we did anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you ever... Oh, I see. Actually, how influential would you say party leadership was to dictating the agenda and what bills get passed? Um, It was less so when I was here because the speaker didn't have absolute control. Okay. Um, you You had to build a majority to pass a bill. And, you know, if you had to go get some Republicans... Uh, to get your bill through, uh, because in my time, the Democrats, I was an urban Democrat, mm-hmm. and then we had the Southern Democrats yep. from south of 40, as we used to call them, and they were a pretty conservative group. Yeah. And so on occasion, um, we, had, we were lucky, we had good leaders, but um, Mike Phillips was an extraordinary speaker, and John Gregg was a good speaker. Um, and was able to bring the caucus together. We, we as Democrats, had difficulties sometimes getting together and under, understanding what was important to all of us. And so, um, and then when we had Democratic governors, it was even more difficult because we always had to carry their water. Yeah. And um, sometimes their water was not tasty. Yeah. Especially Evan by, and it was just kind of like. Uh, you know, we know I don't want to do this, and you know they would beat you up until you said, "Okay, I'll do it." <laughs> yeah. But but it was it was difficult sometimes. Um, not for me personally so much because I was a labor guy, and a lot of the issues were labor guys' issues. Yeah. And and um, they just tried to they would try to force you to to be uh, stand together with the caucus and especially if it was close, like if we had 51 members or 52 members, they couldn't allow people to, because then once one goes, then three or four would say, well, he can go, I'm going to go too. And right. Before long, the bill goes down. <laughs> Start a movement, yeah. 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 So did you ever go against party leadership? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> yeah. Interview John Gregg, he'll tell you stories. Yeah. Curl your hair. I bet. But but Mike Phillips was more difficult. John was a friend, and we were he was my first roommate when I got to the legislature. Oh, okay, and um, he uh, he used to 
um, get mad at me, but he always still loved me. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, how did your service affect your family life? Yeah. That's uh, that's a difficult thing because yeah. you know guys that live in the donut area, yep. they get to go home every night. Oh yeah, yeah. And I didn't get to go home every night, and I'm I'm fortunate. Both of my kids turned out great. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter is a principal, and my son was a principal, but now is going to work for one of the biggest manufacturers in our area. Wow. So you know they've both been successful. They're both doing fantastic. But I remember as a little boy, my son, uh, when he was about seven or eight, said to me, he said, why aren't you like everybody else's daddy? And Mm -hmm. I was like, "Mm, that really hurts. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know how many people felt that way, but um, um, I probably, I mean, a lot of kids' dads traveled. Yeah. And I've generally only gone, you know, four days a week, but it was still... You know, I tried to make every event. I used to drive back and forth during the week to go to uh, school events or yeah. baseball games or whatever. But um, it was hard, and it, and it probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I hear that echoed a lot from people that live not close to Indianapolis area. Yeah, always a challenge. Um, how influential would you say lobbyists were in the General Assembly? You know, I, to me, personally... <clears throat> I, I use lobbyists as information. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them are very, very intelligent, very, very well-versed in their client's subject matter. Sure. And I would utilize that. And I was always, you know, I always talked to who was for and who was against. Because there's, there's always, if there was somebody for something, there was usually somebody against it. And you just kind of weigh it. And if it wasn't something I was personally aware of, that was always more difficult. Yeah. And, um, but generally, um, I voted with the people. Mm-hmm. And so if an issue was important to people, I was always on the side, the good guy side. Mm-hmm. And um, I was chairman of the insurance committee for probably half the time I was here. Yeah. And I did everything I did was consumer-oriented. Uh, but on occasion, I had to help the industry because uh, it was a good industry for Indiana. It provided a lot of jobs. And so I tried to tried to be helpful without hurting people. Right. And it was sometimes very, very difficult because they always wanted more than they should have had. Mm-hmm. But, but um, lobbyists are an important part of the process. Sure. And... Um, I found that most all of them are honorable people, and um, most in my time here, and it started to change towards the time I left, but they would never lie to you because they knew if they lied to you once, you'd never believe them again. Right, yeah. And so it was, it was back in the day, they were an important part of the process that, um, and you know, you go look back in history, lobbyists have been around forever. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, do you think like campaign gifts or donations had an impact on how legislators would vote? Or you know, I don't know. I mean, I never did me because I t- I generally only took donations from groups that supported I supported their issues. Anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I my I used to raise a ton of money from the labor guys. Um, I 
raise money from the insurance industry, but not very much in mm -hmm. comparison. If if I'd have been a Republican, I'd have you know they would have buried me with money. But <laughs> but they only gave me money yeah. because I was chairman of the committee, and they knew that I was going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it was to their benefit, then I was for them. If it wasn't, if it was for the people, then I was for the people. But it's. Um, the campaign contributions never impacted me, mm -hmm. um, but uh, and I didn't take money from certain people like utilities. When I first got elected, I didn't take money from utility companies because I used to bash them mm -hmm. all the time. I'd go home and have press conferences in front of their buildings and rip them for their high prices and stuff. And so um, I really, you know, they didn't give me money because they knew I wouldn't take it. Right. And I had a friend, I mean, we were friends, he was a Democrat lobbyist, and he worked for INM, and he sent me a check, and I sent it back to him. Yeah. And he was offended that I had sent back the check. It was $100. I mean, yeah. even back in the day, that was that was sure. a change. Yeah. So, we, uh, but it took a while for him to get over that, and but that was just the way I handled things. Yeah. If I didn't want... And, and if I didn't want money, if I didn't need money, mm -hmm. now I took money time, sometimes from groups I didn't support. Yeah. But that was their problem, not mine. <laughs> yes, technically true. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I, I don't have to vote for yours. Yeah. Stuff, so. I never, they, yeah. I mean, if they thought that was going to change my vote, yeah. It's like, thanks for they the, were misinformed. Thanks for the cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll use this to campaign against your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Whoever your candidate is, yeah. it's just, you just help me. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, what about like gerrymandering? How influential was that? That was big time. Okay. Um, it's kind of interesting now that um, when I got elected in my district in 1988, it was it was, had been split, um, and it was sort of Democrat a mm -hmm. little bit, and then it became sort of Republican, and then it had uh, the the people who represented it had flip-flopped uh, a couple times. And then one guy then, um, who was a nice guy from Mishawaka, had um, won, and he'd won twice and twice in a row, and then he was been elected three out of four times. Yeah. And he's the gentleman that died. And okay. so, um, so when I got elected we, in 1990, we... I won the election barely by 35 votes. And so when they took us into redistricting, um, the guy that was doing the, back then, they did it on a PC, which is kind of amazing now that you think about it. And so, so but my district was adjacent to Pat Bauer's district, who was at that time chairman of Ways and Means. And then the chairman of the elections committee was also adjacent to my district. Yeah. So St. Joe County at that time had five legislators. One was Dick Mangus, and they gave him the whole southern part of the county, which was all Republican. And then, and then uh, Mike Dvorak had the uh, district north of me, mm -hmm. and he was a Democrat. And so we, Mike and I, had districts. Mike's was like 47% uh Democrat. Yeah. And mine was about 50. And so we went into redistricting hoping to get more Democrats. Sure. 
and we got into the into the process and we were getting screwed and so you know we say hey wait we're the ones that are getting our and we were getting pounded every cycle they yep. just beat the hell out of us and so but Krumkowski and Bauer had to have 65% Democrat districts. And I'm like, I mean, anybody in their right mind can win a 60% district. Why don't you just give us five points and we'll, then we'll all be happy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it that just didn't happen. And so in 1991, they made me go further into Elkhart County. No, they took away a little bit of Elkhart County, they took the, part, the Republican part away and gave me more Democrats. But I still was only about 51 Mm-hmm. And Mike, I was in the meeting with the speaker, and the speaker just looked at him and said, you know, you win a 47% district with room to spare. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to help you? <laughs> well, fairness would tell you. you right. know, yeah. Fairness amongst the Democrats would be you know, yeah. easy to figure that one out, but they just wouldn't. Yeah. So then in 2000, uh, redistricting uh, the 2001, 20, uh, yeah. it, it, it was... Um, the same thing. John Gregg was speaker then, and he had given it to Eddie Mayhern, who mm-hmm. was not my fan. He didn't like me. Okay. And it was a personal thing. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. I would have probably screwed him too. <laughs> but So he, they thought, I had looked at the numbers, and there was really, and, and I knew Bauer, because uh, Bauer was still chairman of Ways and Means. I wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to give me any Democrats I mean, I was the only legislator that lived in Mishawaka, mm-hmm. and four people represented Mishawaka. And Bauer had the best seven precincts in the whole city, mm-hmm. Democrats won. Yeah. And so I'm saying, well, damn. And so I think they gave me one of the seven that year. Anyway, I didn't care because I actually had decided I was, I'd been offered a job uh, representing the building trades. Mm-hmm. And... I was going to take it, but then I had um, an issue with my heart, and I had to. Mm. So I had, I just I left it go, and yeah. and I went back to the legislature. But I didn't care. That I looked at the numbers, and the numbers told me this district that I have right now, I can probably win it, you know, for as long as I want to, if you know I don't screw up. Right, right. And so he thought he screwed me, but really that would if I would have done it myself, I might have improved it on the on the edges but not not substantially but redistricting was a big deal mm-hmm. and then you know we in 2000 Mike Dvorak was considering running for Congress and they want he wanted to improve this then was the second district um, and because Romer and um, uh, Donnelly had been you know Romer had been the congressman, and Donnelly was trying to be. Anyway, it was it was something that we wanted to improve more Democrats. And uh, John Gregg cut a deal with somebody down here in the eighth district, and we got screwed again. So, I, uh, so we held up the two thousand uh, redistricting because there was a guy named Aguilera from Lake County who was Hispanic, mm-hmm. and he thought he got screwed in Lake County. I didn't even know, but we needed, because we had 52 members yeah. then. <clears throat> I didn't know, you know, much about him, because he was fairly new, but he was a no vote, so we 
so Mike and I latched on to him. And uh, so we, they, they improved Mike's district a lot. I, again, I didn't care because I thought I was moving on, but I didn't. Yeah. So um, we, anyway, we, it's a big deal. And then, well, you've seen what's happened. I left in 2012, and um, they had changed the districts in 2011. And it was funny because they put me into, uh, I spent my whole legislative career beating the hell out of South Bend. Mm-hmm. Their school system, their mayors, because I lived in Mishawaka. Mishawaka and South Bend are oil and water. Yeah. And, and hell, I'm surprised um, Joe Kernan ever spoke to me because I used to do press conferences against him, kick his butt <laughs> whether he needed it or not. And, uh, and Bauer and I were always enemies. Yeah. He was from South Bend. Yeah. And um, so it was just one of those things. That, and so the first redistricting plan the Republicans put out had me I lived on the west side of Mishawaka at that time. Put me in a South Bend district <laughs> with Dave Miskowski. And I, la- and I laughed, and, and Miskowski was just petrified. Yeah. And I, I, he came up to me, and he said, what do you, what do you think? And I said, I, I told you. I, I, had, I had announced I was retiring the year before. Yeah. And I said, I don't care where yeah. they put me. It doesn't matter, because I'm not going to run anyway. Yeah. So, so but Bauer... Because after the first maps come out, yeah. if, if you'll ever go back and look at history, the second set of maps comes out after they negotiate with the minority right. party. Yeah. And, and they take care of the, the leadership in each caucus takes care of themselves uh-huh. and their buddies. And so I knew that they wouldn't leave me in Niskoski's district because just in case. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bauer knew me well enough that I would, I, maybe I would decide to run against Nagoski just to screw Bauer. Yeah. You know, that's... I probably considered that, but I was I had I had enough. I was done, and and Nate Dave's a nice guy. He's harmless, so I just I we moved actually, and uh, after that I moved to Michigan on a lake. So I uh, the redistricting was a big deal, and you can see that by now with super majorities. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean it. it, it yeah, it's amazing how much of a of a political game it becomes with redistricting and well what's really interesting was when uh, I got to Michigan when we became residents of Michigan they have a commission now that draws the maps mm-hmm. yeah that's right that's right Michigan and so um, I thought yeah, this is really really intriguing because mm-hmm. when in 2000 I'd done all the campaigns in 96 98 mm-hmm. and would have done them again in 2000 had John Gregg committed to me that I get to draw the maps yeah and he, and he said no. And I said, well, then I'm not going to run the campaigns. And then Eddie Mayer screwed things up, and we almost went in the minority. But that's another story for yeah. today. <laughs> but, it was, it, but the commission in Michigan, so it was an opportunity. Any, anybody could apply. Mm-hmm. So I put my name in and got rejected right away because it's just a, it was a blind draw. Mm-hmm. So the people that ended up on the commission that drew the maps in Michigan had no experience in anything. Mm. And I, I just can't imagine how it all came about without yeah. being all screwed up. Yeah. But they got maps, and they were challenged. The Republican challenged them, so the Democrats must have gained. I don't know. But, yeah, but, uh, yeah redistricting is huge. And yeah. that's why the, the last election of the, of the decade is so critical. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't know that they just choose like random people for that down in Michigan. Oh that's, yeah, it was unbelievable. You, and because I, I yeah. went up, I went up and met with the minority leader in the house up there, and and I said, I, the she had her lawyer there and a couple other people, a person from the Secretary of State's office, mm. and I said, you know, I'd like to be on this commission. I think I could really be helpful. Yeah. Because I understand numbers. Right. And and I understand how people get screwed in the process. Yep. And so, um, so they, so the lawyer, the only comment the lawyer made at the, after her, all is over, he said, I just would, I, if I was you, I wouldn't tell anybody that I used to be a legislator and gone through three redistrictings. And so yeah. I said, well, okay. And so when I applied, I just yeah. you know, didn't mention it. Yeah. Yeah. You almost wonder if like, I mean, obviously if you just have random people, I guess you're going to get whoever those people happen to be. But I almost wonder if, like, like legislative services or something should have a role in that. Or I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, I it's been too long ago that I yeah. watched through that process, walked through that process. But it was um, there was the Secretary of State's office up there has more hands on, mm-hmm. and they were in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, sure. you know how it all came about. Yeah, that's interesting. So. Uh, you know, based on your experiences then with the General Assembly, you know, uh, what would you change about the legislative process? You know, I um, I think it works fine as long as the system forces compromise. Uh, like now with the supermajorities, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 just obscene from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, the issues that come out. All these ish, high-profile issues that are about and prevalent today, they would have never came out came out of committee, let alone hit the floor. Um, and so I think the extremes, um, depending on who's running the show, on the right and the left, um, get when it's when it's a supermajority like that. All the extremes come to the surface mm-hmm. and happen because nobody can stop them. Yeah. In the old days, somebody could stop it. Mm-hmm. from coming, you know, we didn't have a lot of crazy gun stuff. We didn't have a lot of, you know, abortion came to the floor, but it was, it it, it wasn't as um, bad as it is now. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, um, the extremes are, are, are bad for the whole state, I think. And I think it's going to, you know, the lack of work on our educational system and um, from the governor's people and people in the legislature, I think it's going to impact Indiana's economic outlook. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Indiana's a great place to live, but if you look at it from the outside, you know, you think there's a bunch of bigots here, and um, when they when they focus on, mm-hmm. on religious stuff and on sexual stuff, yep. it's just obscene, from my perspective. And I'm, again, mm-hmm. I'm a lefty, so I guess that's to be expected, but mm-hmm. um, sure. I, just, I just find it appalling. Yeah, yeah, it's strange times for sure. Um, and you mentioned the supermajority in Indiana. It's it's funny, you know, talking to like some former Republicans, where you know s- some people are starting to view it where you almost have uh, you have like a, a small Democratic party, but then you have like almost two different Republican parties emerging um, because, <laughs> because you almost have to have a, a new Republican party. Form out of the old one if you have a supermajority. 
because uh, then people start competing with each other for their own you know particular conservative beliefs. Because and, honestly, when it when when sometimes the minority yeah. saves the majority. Yeah. Because they put us like in my day, we just get up and leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, we left we left the state twice yeah, when I was right. a Democrat, yeah. and yeah. and and so we put a stop to the process. And like in '95, we but we gave Paul Manweiler an out. Mm-hmm. We passed a bill that we he thought mattered, but it didn't end up mattering. Yeah. And and um, and then in was. 2000, Daniels was governor when we left the state one other time. That was kind of a, they, they passed right to work then. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know. It's just, it, I just wish that things could be closer in numbers mm-hmm. and that would produce a better quality yeah. of, of uh, bills that become law. And oh, I think it would be better for the state because you can't take care of, I mean, I always felt like, being from the north, uh, I knew what we had as far as roads and structure. And, you know, they'd spend hundreds of millions of dollars in the donut community in Indianapolis, which I felt was unfair. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mind them getting, I mean, obviously there's more people here than there is up north, but but still, we have needs and they're not being met. Right. And the only thing, you know, even if we had... Uh, like Bauer was chairman of Ways and Means off and on for 20-some years, um, we never got anything. Because mm-hmm. he was always, Pat Bauer was always concerned about what he personally wanted, not what was best for our community. Mm-hmm. So, um, or communities across the northern part of the t- state. So yeah. it, was, it was hard to overcome the Indianapolis influence. Sure, I bet, yeah. Yeah, it's a... Complex process. Um, now, during the right to work stuff, you know what was what was going on at the time, and what, what was your involvement in that? Well, it was interesting because um, I was a building trades mm-hmm. union guy, and there's a difference between the in, amongst the the unions. Yeah, uh, building trades people are generally more conservative, generally Republicans. And industrial, the UAW and, and those folks are generally more liberal, even though most union folks are conservatives mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, so my role in Right to Work was um, uh, I, I knew it was going to pass because the people in power in the, in the business community were forcing the Republicans to go that way. Mm-hmm. And we were already beginning to move... You know, we'd, we'd just come through the 94 elections when lots of Republicans got elected. And so there was a lot of um, that kind of influence. Um, you know, I was, I was here on the stage when they lined up down uh, Bob Orr way down this, yeah. the 25,000 people. And um, it, was, it was interesting. I don't know that it made a big difference, um, actually, mm-hmm. but it, uh, the right to work stuff. But... It's the it, it, it's a false narrative that Republicans in the business community uh, have perpetrated on the mm-hmm. people of Indiana. But you know, whatever. So, were you part of the group then that left the states? Uh huh. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what was the decision-making process for that? Did you guys think that was really going to make a difference? or is Well, just... it, um, it, it didn't, but, um, you know, it was... I didn't want to go. I mean, hell, I had, I had at that time I had a, a house in, in Michigan yeah. on a lake, but they forced us all to go to Illinois. I'm like, what the hell am I doing in Illinois? I could be in Michigan and be on my lake sitting in my boat, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, um, I, but anyway, yeah, I, but the problem with that was um, Bauer didn't have a, uh, an exit pro- program, mm-hmm. and Daniels was pretty tough even though he had reneged on the promises he made to people in the trades and others mm-hmm. that he wasn't going to uh, accept right to work. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Sometimes you win, sometimes you sure. lose. Sure, that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that it, like, what type of impact did you think that had on the Democratic Party in Indiana after it was all said and done? Um, I don't know that it had a whole lot of impact. Okay. I really don't. I'm, <clears throat> I was never a party person. Mm-hmm. I'm a Democrat. Right. That's because of my, my views. Yeah. Not, not because I'm hooked to some ideological person. Right, right. Um, but sure. it was, um, you know, if you don't have the governor's office and you don't have a majority in one of the houses, you can have trouble raising money. So that's, that's what's happened to the Democratic Party in Indiana. Yeah. And across the country, actually, in places where the Republicans control the whole shooting works. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's to be expected, I think. And, um, um, you know, that we just need another Evan Bayh to come along and sweep people off their feet. Yeah. Um, so what would you say then was the most controversial legislative issue when you served? When I was here? Yeah. Well, um... There were a lot of them, actually, but you know, it's always the 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 ones that impacted me the most would would be the people's type issues. Like labor was always an important thing to me because that's where I was, and my grandfather was in the first sit down strike at in Mm. Indiana in the country, actually. Yeah, at Bendix in South Bend, and um, my dad, my brother all belong to unions at one time or another. So, you know, it's been part of my life. So those issues, they impacted me um, more personally than some. Mm-hmm. But um, I was always concerned about the abortion issue. I'm, I'm pro-choice, very pro-choice. Mm-hmm. And it's it's because I don't believe government has a role in this whole thing. I'm, I'm, it's kind of interesting. I'm a Democrat and a lefty, but I'm also a libertarian on certain things. Mm-hmm. And... And I see where when government gets involved in something so personal and so tragic that it's just not right. And mm-hmm. that's the way I always believe. And it's kind of interesting all along. I'm from a Catholic area. My wife and children are Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only pro-choice Democrat or Republican in the whole part of the state where I live. Wow, yeah. And, um, but go back to what I said earlier about polling, yeah. I knew exactly how the people felt in mm-hmm. my district, and they were just like me. They just didn't think government belonged in that in that discussion. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So the Republicans never beat me up on that issue. One sent out a mailer once, but it was really innocuous. Yeah. But so that they, was it. They couldn't get you with that. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, what about what was the most complex piece of legislation that you ever worked on? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, there was insurance piece of legislation that AUL wanted. I don't know what they call it, America One now. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was where uh, a mutual company, there's, mm-hmm. there's mutual insurance companies and there's stock. Mutuals are owned by the, by the policyholders. Mm-hmm. And there's stock companies like Allstate and all those. Well, the mutual companies wanted a process where the people running these mutual companies could assume the company. They could mm-hmm. buy the company out through some kind of a fraudulent, I believe, I believed it was fraudulent, uh, process where they disenfranchised the policyholders and took control of the company and, th- and, then, made it, and then took its stock. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't legal in Indiana. And they, they had a bill that came through my committee, and my, a good friend of mine was carrying a bill, and I read it, and I smelled a rat. Yeah. I, I wasn't smart enough to figure out what the rat looked like, but I knew it was a rat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I took it to one of the smartest guys that I knew that was part of the legislative process, and he was the attorney for John Gregg, and I said, tell me what you think that bill does. And he came back to me a couple of days later and he said, somebody's going to get really, really rich. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, that's what I, I, I smelled that rat, but I don't know how they're getting there. And right, then right. he explained it to me. And so I went about blocking that legislation for two years. I even got a call from my good friend, Frank O'Bannon, to go down and visit with him about that bill. And he said to me, he said, AUL has called me, and they told me they're going to move to Iowa because Iowa had just passed the legislation. Mm-hmm. And the name it for that process escapes me right now, but it might come back to me. <laughs> but uh, that they were going to move to yeah. Iowa to take advantage of this mutual holding company bill. So I said, what are they going to do, put that building on wheels and wheel it out mm-hmm. to Iowa? They're not going anyplace. Mm-hmm. And Frank was just adamant, saying, you know, this is a big deal to Indianapolis. And it was a big deal to my friend from Indianapolis who introduced the bill. Yeah. And so I had to go to my friend and say, you have to get off this bill and you have to put my name on it or else I'm just going to kill it. Mm-hmm. So, so I started meeting with um, people to find out what kind of rat this What's thing going is. on here? Yeah. So I went to... Um, um, and we had multiple mutual companies in Indiana. Anthem used to be a mutual company. Okay. Um, and uh, the grain workers, the grain companies had a mutual. There was, there was, I don't know, half a dozen of them or more. Mm-hmm. So Anthem comes to me and they say, we're interested. Because I was advocating, instead of letting these guys assume this whole mutual company, the people who ran it, gobbling it up and disenfranchising the policyholders, I was more inclined to open it up to make this, the uh, um, the mutual part of it more acceptable to the companies, yeah. make it more fluid so they could do more business and stuff. Well, anyway, that's not what they wanted. They wanted the money. They wanted to work. They knew how much these companies were worth mm-hmm. on, as stock companies yeah. versus being mutual. So... 
Anthem comes to me and they say, we're interested in, in your compromise and we'll work with you to develop that. Mm-hmm. And I said to this is back in the um, late 90s. And I'm saying, if you know, I, I want a health insurance company. I, I believe then that there would be two or three or four large companies that survived because um, I knew we were going to move eventually to some yeah. kind of a single-payer type of a process. And I, and I said, I just assume one of the Indiana companies be one of the survivors. Mm-hmm. And so when Anthem came to me, and I said that publicly, and so Anthem came to me, and that's why they worked with me to improve our mutual holding company laws to make them more acceptable and more fluid where they would work better for these companies. And then, then we got to this process where we allowed um, them to become go from a mutual company to a stock company, but they had to, they had to ben- the the people who benefited couldn't be the people that ran the company at the right. time. Yeah. It had to be the policyholders. Okay. So my compromise was this is what we're going to do, and uh, but again the money people didn't want that. They sure. Wanted, they wanted to, they wanted to capture these billions of dollars and it was billions, and so when Anthem. Anthem, we passed my law, and and so when and I think it was ninety nine, and we passed it, and that's when Anthem became a stock company and went huge, mm-hmm. and became WellPoint, and on the rest is history. But it was all made possible by that bill that I passed back in the nineties. Yeah, and so it was very very controversial, and and. Um, and then I finally passed a mutual holding company bill, but it was so screwed up they couldn't utilize it. And that was my intent. Yeah, I yeah. passed a bill that they couldn't use. Yeah. And then, um, and then, but the improvements that let them move from a stock com- or from a mutual company to a stock company, well, you've seen what happened to Anthem. Mm-hmm. Anthem's huge. Yeah, I mean that's the insurance company for you know state yeah. of Indiana, basically. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's and. The other thing is, it's it's in the well, it was. I don't know if it still is because I've stopped following it. But in, it, initially, it was like one of the top two. Mm-hmm. Uh, United Health from Minnesota is, was number yeah. one, and Anthem usually was right there at second or third. Um, now it's called WellPoint. But yeah, it was it was hugely controversial. I, I it, that bill pushed me to the edge. It was because it was so difficult. Um, intellectually to handle yeah. the issue because the issue was so complicated that, that I w- it took me a long time to learn the issue and and to find out who was gaining and who was losing and my that's that was always my my emphasis was making sure the right people benefited and what anthem's representative told me after the fact after it all had passed and all of it had started to transpire I blocked the, own, the the leaders of the company from being able to buy stock for six months. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And they weren't very happy. I bet. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and so, so, but, and when it all happened, when, when Anthem had to pay off their policyholders, yeah. he told me it was the biggest transfer of wealth ever in the state of Indiana. Wow. And he said it was $1.6 billion. Jeez. And so that was just... That was something that I stood firm on, and I 
I almost caved. I mean, it was so they were hitting me so hard yeah. that, that I, it was, and it was so difficult of an issue to for me to understand, and then also to me to explain. Oh, I bet, yeah. And because you know, I wasn't always sure I had a grip, the grip, best grasp on it. But but anyway, we put the right people in place, and we got it through, and and so they got their mutual holding company bill that didn't work, and then I got my my compromise, which which the consumer benefited from the uh, Anthem moving from a mutual company to a stock company. Yeah. Wow. That's, that is complex. Yeah, yeah it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd have known what I was getting into, I probably would have just killed it all and yeah, like, walked away. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so how would you summarize your time overall then as a state legislator? Uh, you know, I think I would uh, summarize it as effective. I, I mm-hmm. think um, I, I served my community well because I advocated for my school corporations and people like me who I represented. Yep. And um, I think I did a really good job, you know, not to blow my own horn, but I think I did a really good job of reflecting their views in the legislature. And I think that's the goal of representative government. And um, I think... I got a lot of good things done um, for people, um, like autism. Kids with autism, mm-hmm. they were always, uh, their families were always penalized because they couldn't, their insurance companies wouldn't cover insurance. Yeah. For them. I passed a bill and said, you don't have a choice, you're going to cover these kids. Right. And I did a lot of things that were for kids with disabilities. And I wouldn't have known that I didn't know it then, but I know now that I have a granddaughter that has Down syndrome. Mm, okay. So all these things that I did along the the way, yeah, because I felt that they were the right thing to do for people. Um, it now came back to benefit my mm. granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. And and she's a wonderful kid. I mm-hmm. just love her to pieces, and and I've made her life a little bit better by making. Um, Medicaid have mm-hmm. an income waiver. Yeah, and so I work with with Pat Miller, who's one of the most conservative people in this yep. in this whole part of the state. And Pat and I, it took me two years to get it done, but we got it done. And and uh, she was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love Pat Miller. Yeah, and loved working with her because he always she always told you exactly what she would do and what she wouldn't do. And and we we had to work our way through it, but we got that waiver for those kids, and um, she was wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, that's I think my satisfaction. I left very easily in 2012. I was ready to go. Right, right. And it was new. Uh, it was because I knew I'd done all I could have done to help people. I mean, I didn't vote for tax increases. I didn't vote for top property. I was the only one that voted against Mitch Daniels' property tax reform bill. Yeah. Only one the first time around. Yeah. And then I started saying, wait a minute, boys, you don't understand. They're just going to raise the assessments. Mm-hmm. What are they doing today? Raising the assessments. They're screwing people to the wall in my community, or my yeah. own community. So, you know, it's just one of those things. You, you, uh, you just do the right thing and good things happen. And I think I did the right thing and I think good things happen. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so what lessons then did you learn from your time in the General Assembly? Yeah. <laughs> I came here as uh, I was 36 when I got elected. And I had come out of the labor movement and I had been a construction worker. 
and I was um, rough around the edges. Okay. And um, I've always been intellectually able. That's not that wasn't a problem. It was just some the way I approach things. Mm-hmm. Like I always ask people once to do something, and if they don't, then I come back and I whack them. Yeah. And I had to moderate my uh, my personal uh, ambition with getting yeah. things done and accommodate them in a different way. So I, it took me a while to figure out how to get things done. I did, the first year I didn't like it here, I almost quit because it just was so, it was just so, you know, waste, we wasted so much time. And yeah. you couldn't say, I want to do X and get it done. It wouldn't happen that way. It was always, it was just always complicated. And, and so I decided that I would stick it out and I learned the process, I learned the rules, I made enough good friends, close friends, that I could, I could get something in a bill, bury, right. bury something in a bill, and get something done, that, and nobody would even know it until it was all over. And July 1st had passed. And it was just, I, my good friend Dick Mangus, who was, who was uh, around a long time, probably 30 years or more, um, he, he was a Republican. He always tried to beat me in elections because we, li- we lived in the same county. And, but he was so good with the process. He understood everything, ins and outs. And, and I started working with him periodically on stuff. And we just had a great time, great time. And he taught me so much about the process. So one time he came to me before session was over and he told me he had screwed me on something. I don't remember even what it was. <laughs> But it had something to do, it was an environmental issue. And so, so I went to my friend, our majority leader, Mark Cruzan, and I said, Cruiser, this guy, Mangus, has screwed me, and this is what he did. And he says, oh, that's not a problem. He said, we'll go to a, it was conference committee time. He said, we'll go to another conference committee, and we'll put a repealer in for what he did. And, and I looked at him, I said, you're going to put a repealer in another bill and repeal what he did? And he said, oh, yeah. And we just got to make sure the governor signs that bill after he signs that other bill. <laughs> and I said, yeah. okay. So that was, a, yeah. you know, I was in my first year. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so on July 1st, I called my friend Dick Mangus up on the phone and I said, Remember when you screwed me on whatever that environmental issue was? He, and he chuckled and he said, yeah, yeah, I really got you, didn't I? And I said, well, you need to go to bill such and such on page such and such and paragraph such and such. And I repealed it. <laughs> and he, and he, it was silence and then he laughed. And he said, well, I guess you've learned. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's, a, funny. that's the process. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways you could just change things. It's yeah. crazy, yeah. And nobody will even know it. Yeah, that's right. Just throw it in somewhere, and <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm probably the only guy who, for 24 years, voted against the bill that that uh, what do they call it that makes all the adjustments and changes in the in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a name for the bill. I don't remember it now. But, right. But I voted against it because it's supposed to be no issue is supposed to be taken care of in that bill. It's all just technical. It's called the technical corrections bill. Okay. And I and I voted against it every time. Because one time my first year, 
the Republicans had put something in that bill, mm-hmm. and it had uh, affected my community. Okay, yeah. And I and I and thankfully, my good friend that was the lawyer for the speaker read every bill, and I had told him months before to look for this issue pop up someplace. Yeah. And he and he calls me up and he says it's on the technical corrections bill. It's there. And I so I the guy goes up to present the bill. And, you know, he makes this plea that, you know, there's no substantive changes in this bill, blah, 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 blah. And then I question him and I say, what about this on page such and such and paragraph such and such? And he says, oh, I said, I think you ought to withdraw the bill, don't you? And he said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and so they withdrew the bill and they amended it. And Yeah, it's good to catch that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so what would you say is your, like, proudest moment then as legislator? Um, I, you know, I had a lot of moments that I was very proud of what we had accomplished or what I had accomplished. And, um, I'm guessing, um, the fact that I was able to serve 24 years honorably, mm-hmm. uh, never, never did anything inappropriate, um, and had a success past numerous and numerous bills that affected affected people in a positive way. Um, I guess that's overall that's my proudest thing. And but it, but but serving for twenty four years in a district that um, was marginally democratic, yep. um, was was um, pretty um, impressive. Sure, yeah. to me and um, and I knew the district better than anybody. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, what advice would you have for future legislators or even current legislators? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a whole different world now. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy in the national national uh, legislative process. It's crazy here. Local communities, school boards. I mean, it's all, everybody, these fanatics from both sides are just beating people up that are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I, I think, I think the system has to burn up and go away for a while before it regenerates in a positive way. I mean, it's just horrible out there. Yeah. I can't imagine um, a guy like me, who has a tendency to say exactly what he's thinking, um, surviving. Mm-hmm. Because if I was on the school board, um, we elected school boards in my neck of the woods. And these new goofballs come in and they're advocating not wearing masks or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, how does that hurt anybody to wear a mask and protect other people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's just nuts. <laughs> and so I'm glad, I'm glad I'm way past my prime. I'm, you know, almost 70. And I left at the right time. Um, I never had to serve in the super minority. Yeah. And so I, because uh, I, I, I liked being involved. I was involved even in when we were in the minority because I'd built up friendships with sure. people. I mean, I got bills passed that even surprised me. I mean, when in 95, I passed a bill that gave uh, NDOT the chance to turn 31 into a tow road. Hmm. Okay. And it was just like, I didn't think I could pass it, and and all of a sudden it's on the governor's desk, and I'm like, hmm, 
that works. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it, and it was just, a, it was a project. It was something to do. I mean, because you sit around here 14, 15 hours a day and you got nothing to do because when you're in the minority, right. you got nothing to just do. Just listening, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it makes up for a long day. Yeah. So it was fun. I enjoyed that little segment where I got something done and we were in as big a minority as we'd ever been in than while I was here. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say the public does not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? I would say they know nothing. Yeah. 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 I, and that's too bad. Yeah. But um, I understand, especially if you're from my neck of the woods, um, Indianapolis is a three-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And um, the legislature is a foreign foreign thing to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I served for um, 24 years, and my name recognition when I left was like 60%. And I'm guessing most of that was probably because uh, 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 my, commu- my family had lived in the community for, you know, yep. ever. And, and, you know, I was an athlete in high school, and uh, I was an athlete after I got out of high school. I played baseball and softball when I was older, and I'd been in the construction industry. So, you know, it's, my name recognition was 60% when I left. And it, it just dawned on me that, you know, I think people know who I am, mm-hmm. but they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it was reinforced every time I went out to lunch with the mayor of Mishawaka. And people would come up and talk to him, and they didn't have a, well, I never, I didn't, he always had a suit and tie on. I never did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I look like this. You know. But, um, so they didn't think I was anybody important, which I'm not. I'm, and, but they would talk to him like, you know, he was a long lost brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then again, I, I was always kind of not standoffish, but just uncomfortable. Right. People I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so, thinking big picture, then, um, how has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? Oh boy. Well, I can tell you, when I came here, we didn't have a six billion dollar <laughs> surplus. Yeah. We never had enough money most of the time that I was here. But um, um, it's it's for my liking. It's too conservative. It's too mm-hmm. too much of everything. Um, the business community seems to have too much influence. But that's just my personal biases. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I think that Indiana has missed the boat when it comes to public education because of all the things that were the Constitution covers. The first one is public education. Right. And I think Indiana fails miserably and has for lots of years. I mean, Bob Orr back in the late 80s um, did the, what he called the A-plus program. And uh, it, it, it brought money into the system. It brought uh, good ideas into the system. And it kind of got just cut away. And then it got everything got tied up in politics because the teachers were back then were real active politically mm-hmm. and went after, only they beat the speaker in 1986. So, you know, it, there were people that had real bad feelings about the ISTA politically. And then I see the kids in the school corporations suffering because of that. 
And I think you'll see that now, where most of the Republicans don't support public education. If they could get rid of it, they would. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, how do you think the people of Indiana have changed? Well, um, I haven't lived here for, for quite a while. But, yeah. but um, you know, I, I, see, I see the economic struggles from the community that I grew up in, which in my day, when I was growing up in Mishawaka, had multiple factories where mm -hmm. all, most all everybody's dad worked. Yeah. Usually not the mom. My mom happened to be a person who worked, but most of the moms were stay-at-home moms. We all kind of came from the same background where dads worked worked from 7 to 3.30 at the factory on the, in the railroad tracks that had multiple companies along there, big companies. And, um, and all of that's gone. I mean, everything is gone. And um, people are poor. Mm -hmm. And I see that across the state. I mean, you used to see that in southern Indiana a lot more in my early days, but... Um, where I live now, the, the homes are deteriorating because the people aren't able to make a decent wage. And mm -hmm. so I think while the rich have gotten richer, the poor have gotten poorer. Yeah. And I think that's true across the country. Sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think hasn't changed when it comes to the people of Indiana? Boy, um, there's still a lot of good people in the state, really good people on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, can see, I could see, if I lived in Indiana, I could see myself voting for um, the current governor. Mm -hmm. And um, I think he's a good guy. Yeah. I think he's trying to do the right thing. While he's a Republican and a conservative, I think he's a reasonable, and that's who—that's the kind of Republican I used to work with when I was here. Right. Um, so, you know, I wish, I wish more of that kind of thing would surface. But the extremes are just—I think they're going to be the death of us all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, something I think that foreign legislators across the board are usually pretty concerned about the extremes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really been difficult to watch, and I, you know, because I, I, you know, the, the South Bend paper doesn't cover anything anymore, mm -hmm. and well, we don't even get it anymore because <laughs> they stopped delivery. Wow. Um, but it, you know, they didn't cover the legend. That one time when I was here, they had a person here full time, and so she, she generally wrote um, articles about the local legislators and um, what they were up to. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the guy that took my 5th district seat, which is not really my district anymore, but he uh, he's just takes up space. Mm -hmm. Doesn't do anything, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I mean, um, I was always stirring the pot, trying to get something done for our community. I mean, I built... I built a road, a hundred million plus dollar road, right through the middle of my district. Yeah. I mean, I, I played hooker crook with governors, with speakers. I don't care who it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only think of one, while well, my time, in my time here, one other legislator who was able to build a major highway 
in and around their community. Yeah. And that was Speaker Don, John, um, Bob Daly from Muncie, the bypass around Muncie. He built that. That was his deal. Well, I built 331 from, from the toll road to the 20 bypass, on an eight-and-a-half-mile road mm-hmm. and six-lane highway. So it's like um, it was supposed to, I would have, if I would have been locally involved, I would have used it as an economic tool. Um, the money people in our community don't want Capital Avenue to be a money mm-hmm. uh, economic. They want it to be a land that they own. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of a mixed bag. But the road carries thousands of cars a day now. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a huge, yeah. huge success. But you know, I, and when uh, you asked earlier about what my proudest thing is. That was probably, it took me 20 years to build that. Jeez, yeah. It's a and, 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 and to get money, pots of money from the local community, from the state, and it's, a national, it's on the National Highway Network. It was national money involved, too. It was just like, it was a lot of work, but, but um, the road's there, and people use it every day. In fact, it's starting, it's been there, some of it's been there so long that it's starting to get repaired already. So, <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. So that works. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, let's see. Last question then. What do you want uh, the people of Indiana to know about their influence on the General Assembly? They need to have some. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Try think... to get some influence. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think you need to start electing people that listen instead of mm-hmm. come here with already formed opinions of yeah. what's right, what's wrong, what needs to be done. Because... Um, Unless you get people who believe in government, yeah, and believe that that um, good people can make good decisions that benefit the masses, whether it be people or businesses, and one's not exclusive, needs to be taken care of first. It just everybody needs to get a piece of the action. Sure, that would be helpful. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't see that any time in my lifetime coming about. Yeah, things I guess are not looking looking great then based yeah. on what you experienced to today. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask about that you wanted to mention or to recover most of it? You know, the the one thing that I I I value probably as much as anything from my service here was uh, the unique individuals that I met along mm-hmm. the way. And you know, I don't know how many people came and went while I was here, but a number of them. And um, it's interesting that that some of them are still very close friends. I mean, I, some of them, like I play golf with Mike Dvorak, who we served together for 10 or 12 years. And um, uh, he, we live in the same community now, sort of. And, and we, we even, uh, we go to Florida mm-hmm. and we stay in the same building. And... Um, uh, and it's just, I have so many really great relationships yeah. um, from people on both sides of the aisle. I mean, Jeff Linder and Mike Smith were both Republican in the Republican leadership team when I was here. They left before I did, but they were just, I mean, they're still two of my closest people that I talk to. And I talk to them dearly, and I talk to them, we text back and forth, mm-hmm. this new, new age of communication. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. Daily, yeah, and so it's it's just um, I think 
when I think about the value of my service down here, the thing I benefited most from was was the relationships and being able to call somebody in any part of the state that if I, like I'm out traveling, in the old days when I worked for Ivy Tech, I used to travel the state and every once in a while, you know, one time I had car trouble mm-hmm. and I called Eric Turner and said, you know, tell me somebody I can call to get my car fixed. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, he says, I'll call X, Y, and Z and they'll come and get you and take care of it. And I said, okay, fine, great. So that's, the, and he was a Republican, right? When Republican, right. But, yeah. but we had that personal relationship. And that's the kind of thing that I can go almost any place in the state and know somebody of, of substance that right. can, can help me or I can help them. And because um, um, like, like on the way down here, I talked to, Mark Carmichael, who's in the legislature. Oh, yeah. I just posted uh, his interview, actually, online Did you? today. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Mike Dvorak I talked to today. I mean, and I've gotten texts from Mike Smith and Jeff Jeff uh, Linder today. I mean, it's just that's the kind of relationship that goes on and on and on. Yeah, sure. That's cool. So. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Uh, to thank you for doing for this. the project. Yeah, it's been thank a lot of fun. So. Yeah, well, good. Thank you very much.